Bretto, two wellness base camps down, one to go. That's right, MP. After a sensational day in my hometown of Adelaide, the wellness base camp heads to Kayama on June the 2nd. Fuad Kassab, his sultry tones will be there. The gorgeous Helen Patteron. Maria Zushman, all about stress, the queen of stress. The incredibly handsome Marcus Pierce. Oh, Bretto, you're too kind. The hometown hero from Adelaide, the remarkable Dr. Brett Hill. <laughs> going to be a great day, MP. And the best part is when you register for Kayama now, not only do you get two tickets for the price of one, you also get our recordings from the Wellness Base Camp in Brisbane, valued at $97. Oh, wow, MP. Brisbane was a great lineup too. We had the Up For Chat girls, Cindy O'Meara, Kim Morrison, Karen Smith. It's a fantastic recording to chuck in. Eight presentations from Brisbane. Saturday, June 2 for Kayama at the incredible pavilion overlooking the ocean, Bredo. I don't want to sound biased, but it is the most remarkable venue that we've had for the Wellness Base Camp so far. Saturday, June 2, two for one tickets at thewellnessbasecamp.com. That's thewellnessbasecamp.com. TheWellnessCouch.com, streaming wellness into your lives. Welcome to Wellness Women Radio for the women with big dreams who dare to be different and who want to thrive in health, work and play. Dr. Ashley Bond and Dr. Andrea Huddleston bring you a weekly podcast to help you master true health and create an exceptional life. Hey there, gorgeous wellness women around the world. Thank you for joining us this week on Wellness Women Radio. I'm Ashley. And I'm Andrea. And we are pleased to have you join us. Thank you so much for all those uh, new listeners out there. We've had some great emails coming in recently of people who've just, just started to find us on this uh, podcast and uh, going back through there. And we certainly had uh, an amazing lady emails to say she's just gone through like 100 episodes in the last few weeks while she's on her long drive time to work. So big shout out. That's amazing. Well done for uh, covering so much content. I'm amazed your brain can hold so much because <laughs> I think back to all the topics we've had and there's some real brain busters out there. So well done to everyone who's going backwards through some of the uh, the podcast episodes we've recorded because there is so much gold in there that uh, we're going to cover a topic today that sort of covers back some of the ones from the past and uh, a new spin because obviously as things change and as time changes, research changes and ideas around uh, the body and health and well-being change, we will constantly and continually update and upgrade our, our information. So uh, for those of you who've listened to things like leptin resistance in the past, this one here is just going to fill in some new space and uh, to give you some more thoughts on what we're going to talk about. And today, the topic we are discussing is called metabolic set point theory. And doesn't that... Oh! <laughs> That's a big, big hype to everyone from Tiaki. <laughs> Thank you, Bubba. <laughs> Sorry about that, guys. Yeah. It's bound to happen every episode. <laughs> yeah, just once. But, you know, yeah. at least Tiaki's jumped in early this episode to say hi and shout out to everyone across the globe. So well done. But uh, first, we're going to jump in. And so I just said we're going to talk about metabolic set point theory. But as always, we're going to talk about firstly our listener question of the week, and that's our in the spotlight. So for this week's in the spotlight, Andrew, who are we talking to and what are we answering? Okay, so the question has come from Beck. She is from Leeds in the UK. So a big shout out to all of our awesome listeners in the UK. And essentially, like in summary, her question is all about weight loss, weight gain. Uh, she finds it quite easy initially to lose weight in those first few weeks. Things then slow down, but eventually she always ends up gaining weight back to or more than what her original uh, weight 
was in the first place. And it's really interesting that this question has come through to her and she wants to know if there's a reason for this. Is it a hormonal issue? Um, is there ways to, uh, you know, have more sustainable weight loss over time? And it's such a great question. And it's funny how you have questions that come up at the same time when we see things that are really consistent with patients in practice as well. It's almost like there's this amazing universal synchronicity where the same questions keep coming at us and then we're like, okay, right, finally we will do a podcast on this. We, we get it. <laughs> and I've been observing some really interesting things in some of my patients recently because a whole bunch of them um, all at the same time are getting married. And it's been interesting watching their journey and they have not been trying uh, to lose weight. They haven't been exercising anymore. In fact, that they don't actually have time to do that sort of stuff at the moment. Their diets are probably worse than they are normally. But right before their wedding, they lose weight. And all of the women say this as well, that, oh, don't worry, you'll be so stressed out right before your wedding day that you will lose weight and you'll you know, look amazing in your wedding dress anyway. And I don't actually think it has anything to do with the stress levels before the wedding day because we all know that stress actually has the opposite effect on our metabolic function and our body weight. We know, and particularly if you go back and listen to the episode that we did on how stress makes you fat, we know that stress has that opposite effect on us uh, in, in the majority of cases. So this then got me thinking about this idea that does our body have a metabolic set point? So is there a weight or a metabolic rate that your body thinks is most optimal and it will do whatever it needs to do to conserve that? So there's not a huge amount of published research that's gone into this, uh, which is quite interesting. And I've really um, looked through a lot of the, the PubMed research and, and kind of looked through things extensively to see if there is supporting evidence for this. And there's not necessarily, there are a few studies, but they're quite old now. But would this explain why, for example, uh, people who have um, gastric bypass surgery or gastric sleeve surgery, um, or, you know, essentially bariatric surgery for rapid dramatic weight loss, why a lot of it fails, where they will lose weight and then gain it back again. Would this explain why, irrespective of the diet that you choose, if it is a fad diet, often most people will lose weight like in, in increments initially, but then put it back on again, and sometimes more so? And over time, and they'll always kind of, you know, within a, within a reference range, kind of ebb and flow between a certain weight set point. So this is what we're going to have a look at today, and it's called your metabolic set point theory. And it just kind of explains the potential for that, where, you know, whether or not your body has that control point. And it's quite a complex system, and it's a lot more than just your metabolism yeah. that relates to it. Mm. Um, it's interesting yeah. too. This has been around a long time, isn't it? And this is, I think, you know, the, the role of science is to see observations in nature and try and understand them better. And this is something that um, some scientists had come about or, you know, coined the term, so to speak, back in the early 80s. Um, mm. In 82, Bennett and Guren explained that, you know, repeated dieting, this concept of yo-yo dieting is so unsuccessful and what it's doing and a bit of the why, you know, why is the yo-yo diet effect, you know, why does that exist? Why do we lose weight so well and then 
rebound and regain that weight and sometimes more than where we started. And they started to come around with this concept of this idea that it's when we do these diets, we're trying to reset or overpower this concept of metabolic set point. And regardless of how, which diet we choose, we tend to encounter this opponent. That is our our baseline metabolic set point. And it was really interesting because they were looking at how to, I guess, create sustainable long-term body change um, in terms of body fat and body tissue mass because if they could have found a solution, then we'd solve this problem of yo-yo dieting. Um, And here we are now in 2018 and we're still having the same discussion. So, you know, there's really interesting – it just goes to show that even with a hypothesis and a theory, it doesn't mean there are always great answers. And that's why, you know, we're saying, Andy, it's hard to find some of this research, but certainly there's a lot of people trying to understand why it is we end up returning to weight that we had before, even though our best efforts are – for a reason, you know, we want to achieve that lowered weight loss. We really want yeah. to do things for a certain goal or, or an image or whatever it is we're trying to achieve. But for some reason, we tend to go back to where we were. Um, and I think that's just such a common frustration of so many people and particularly so many women, um, because for women in general, you know, when we go and we sort of start menses, we, we, increase you know things like estrogen progesterone in the body as we go through those early stages in our puberty um fat is generally stored around the thighs and the bum and the hips and then unfortunately as we you know go the other end of the spectrum we start to move towards menopause a lot of women will notice that fat moves towards the the stomach and the belly and we get that visceral fat storage um but regardless of what we try the weight is still the same and isn't that interesting and yeah, it just shifts yeah. around the body. And you think, well, hang on, if I'm losing weight and it comes off my bum legs, why is it going to my stomach? Um, and I think that's, you know, just such a common frustration. And I know that I've even been frustrated by that over the years. I It's always sort of, as long as I remember, starting probably first awareness of it was around when I was in middle to late high school of like this constant body weight that I was achieving, um, regardless of all my training efforts, and would only flux within half a kilo each way. And yet my, yeah. my body shape was changing. So let's just say I'm losing fat, but my muscle mass was increasing. It was clear from clothing fit and body mass assessments based on the sports that I was doing that my body was changing. But interestingly, my whole weight wasn't changing that much. And yeah. so it's been this consistent 67.5 to 68.5 kilos since I was 17 years of age. Um, and so now I'll, if I go up and I try and lose weight, I invariably always almost end up around that mark. And if my goal is to lose less than that and try and get down to 65, 64, you know, 62, um, in the past I've dropped down to 60, sort of three was the lowest I've ever been. And then it would come up, back up to that 67. And it's just like, that's fascinating. And that's, you know, our own personal experiences. And yet a lot of people are struggling with, um, far larger, body fat concerns you know, in terms of the shift the dynamic shift they might lose 20 and then regain 22 over a period of time after and yeah, uh, we see that so so commonly and that's something as well we'll talk in a little while about it but um, I was really fascinated reading about a it was only a small cohort study of uh, participants but it's called the biggest loser study because they followed people who have been uh, contestants on The Biggest Loser and they looked at them in a follow-up study uh, six years after their 
involvement in the TV program, The Biggest Loser, and they had a look at what they've achieved and what they've maintained and, you know, what they've rebounded with. And, uh, yeah, that's just very interesting to see how this all works. So, Andy, let's talk about this concept of this theory saying that, you know, this is your baseline and it's unchanging and it's a result of this basically metabolic set point. Uh, It's going to sound really frustrating because for all of you out there trying to maybe improve your physique or um, maybe you do have a few kilos or, you know, a lot to lose, um, please don't despair. We don't want this to be all pessimistic (laughs) and doom and gloom. But we do want to raise some questions around this. um, And then we're going to give you, as always, the best tips that we've been able to ascertain to try and maybe combat a little bit of this. And remember, this is all still theoretical at the moment. Um, So there has been some sources that have stated things like everyone has this set point. And just as if you, just as you have no control over your height or your eye color or your hair color, um, you also have no control over what your metabolic set point is. So your body's biologically and genetically determined to weigh within that certain weight range. And I, I certainly understand what they're implying there, but I, I also call BS to it because I certainly think that you can change what your set point is. We've just got to figure out how to do it conclusively. Um, so, you know, what, what do we do then? So do we accept what body weight, you know, nature and inverted commas or our environment has given us? And is there no effective way to achieve and maintain an ideal body weight for the long term? And I certainly think that there is because our body and our survival instincts is always for what will conserve uh, essentially the most energy for us. So our body is always in that system of defending ourselves as much as possible and Losing weight is actually more of a stressful process than gaining it. So it will always try and stop essentially that from happening rather than stopping weight gain, um, which I think is quite interesting. And I'm also wondering um, if this is why maybe we decide to do an I quit sugar um, protocol or we do some sort of fad dieting that we all, you know, if we're cutting out things or we're restricting, then all we can think about is the most caloric dense foods you know, your brain fixates on you need this, you need this, you need this. And then you feel like you've lost or you've failed because your brain is giving you these signals as to what it thinks it needs. Um, So this set point is very, very complex. It's not as simple as energy in, energy out. And what I think is a better way to think about it is almost like your body has its own very complicated feedback system or feedback control mechanism. And this information from our periphery, from our environment and everything that affects that is then fed back to our control center in our brain or our hypothalamus. And this is essentially what your hypothalamus is. It's it's that control center, but it also measures your energy expenditure. It measures your food intake and then it corrects any imbalances or deviations from what that homeostatic or that kind of set point metabolic rate might be. And the way that it does this and, and the current kind of working all, well, the, when I say current, this was the current working hypothesis in the early 90s, was that that set point is determined by uh, nutrients. So the amount of nutrient density in the food that you're eating, your dietary composition, your leptin receptors, and your leptin control, so again, the things that interfere with that that leptin or might create that leptin-resistant state, all of our hormones, including and very importantly our thyroid hormones, neurological pathways, 
and various brain nuclei, so stimulation into the brain and different brain centers as well, as well as your neurotransmitters, so your brain chemicals. Um, and all of that comes into the regulation of food intake, energy expenditure, and metabolic control. So that is a huge amount of information that is then, you know, put through the system that creates that shift to either lose or gain weight or, um, you know, bring you back to that, that state as well. Uh, so that, that's pretty amazing. And it's seen in lots of animal studies as well, very consistently. So for example, if you starve a rat, they will slow their metabolism down. Uh, and then, but their appetite will increase. And it moves to conserve their energy though. And just the same way uh, on the flip side of that, if you force feed a rat to fatten it up, the opposite happens. Their metabolic rate, their activity levels increase, their appetite decreases, and they quickly return to whatever their starting rate was or the starting weight was, sorry. And it's the same if you, you know, either fatten them up or starve them. Eventually, within a short period of time, they will come back to whatever that starting weight was. So it's pretty amazing that in nature, without all of the, you know, maybe environmental and emotional drama that we have, they kind of still come back to whatever would be a healthy considered weight, um, for example, in those rat studies. So it's pretty fascinating stuff, I think. Um, but I'm also wondering if there's another layer to it. Oh, there's no doubt so many layers to it. And then that's the complexity of a discussion about something like this, you know, when they talk about set point theory, because the concept that it's set is something that's yeah. already, we know that, let's just expand that a little bit there and say, okay, we know that in order to maintain life, our body has, and exactly what you've been talking about, Andrew, and you, you're talking about metabolism and metabolic rates. We need to support all of our organ function, breathing, digesting, maintaining body temperature, um, cellular repair, and, and so mm -hmm. on. There's just so much that has to go on the body all day long and all night long. And fascinatingly, this is all part of that homeostasis of life. You know, in order to maintain balance, the body's got to have certain essential functions to maintain life. And none of that stuff generally is set. It fluxes in accordance with the challenges and changes that are going on in and around us. Yeah. So to say that our our metabolic rate or our baseline metabolism is set is a really uh, challenging notion to us, I think, as, as health professionals, because we believe in this concept of the body's ability to adapt. Um, and for me too, I certainly find that when I'm thinking about, you know, the body in terms of metabolism, I'm always thinking about, you know, the BMR, which we all know about, which is our um basal metabolic rate, which a lot of yep. people who've done weight loss will understand because you're calculating calories and all that sort of stuff to work out how much you need, the energy in, energy out concept. Mm -hmm. um, but there's also another one, which is our resting metabolic rate. And this is similar to your BMR, but it's basically measuring things to do with our carbon dioxide, oxygen consumption to figure out whether we, how much energy we really need for life. And I think a lot of people confuse these because of the fact that when we're talking about BMR, we're just kind of this concept of well, how much do I need to eat? Yeah. But yeah, we're exactly. not acknowledging all the complexities of all of these constant daily functions that we need to provide for. Yeah. So we then go and do exercise to try and change this BMR, thinking that that concept of burning more calories is going to change it. And for a period of time, it does, but then it rebounds back to a resting metabolic rate, which yeah. is our essential for life. And there's just so many um, 
I think a lot of people forget when they lose weight as well, they do things like, so losing that weight means that when you're walking and doing things that you would normally have done with an extra 5, 10, 15 kilos, your body no longer has those extra 5, 10, 15 kilos. So it resets and recalibrates to adjust to your current rate and current body weight. And in doing so, slows down your metabolism. Mm And that's fascinating because a lot of people think that by losing weight, they're going to continue this, this sustained, you know, I've got a high me- metabolism now, it's going to burn more, but your body keeps resetting in accordance with how much you lose. And so it's essentially, you know, chronic and repeated um, dieting and stress in that way can actually slow down our metabolism. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing, isn't it? Yeah. And it makes perfect sense when you look at that, you know, the physiological primal drivers of the body and it is to sustain a life i guess to defend against what it thinks might be a destructive process um such as starvation Mm -hmm. um which is what a lot of the fad diets the you know nutritional shakes and all of that sort of stuff essentially putting people into nutritional starvation yeah and Uh, so then that reset point occurs and we hit that um plateau where the body fails to shift or move any further weight because it's it's hit a new set point um until the environment changes such as increasing your calorie intake again it's going to be defensive protecting mm -hmm. itself yeah yeah exactly so Um, how does this all make sense to everyone i guess like you know this is sort of detailed uh in the way that it's a a understanding that we've got less control over this set point than we might have thought we do uh, what can I? I guess for me, the findings of the biggest loser study. Let's just talk about that quickly because yeah, because that's to that. what I want to know. You just like dangled the carrot there. Right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so they did this. You know, it's a thirty-week competition. It's fully in depth, and then they followed through yeah. fourteen contestants after six years. They used DEXA body measurements um, for body composition, and they use indirect calorimetry for RMR, this resting metabolic rate. And the aim of the study to investigate the effects of metabolic adaptation so how well our body adjusts to these new conditions Mm -hmm. and whether the reduction in rmr is associated with weight regain because remember i said as you lose weight you reset that rmr so you know does this change the outcomes and essentially that the results from the study um quoting this is on average that 41 kilos was regained six years after the competition when the measures uh changed average per person yeah so these are people with a lot of weight to lose but they still also regained some of that large amount of weight that they lost um and so basically the conclusions were that the long-term weight loss requires vigilant combat against persistent metabolic adaptation that acts to proportionally counter ongoing efforts to reduce body weight oh man so hence the reason um exercise programs for example constant variety yeah. You know, food intakes, you need constant variety. You can't sit on a 500 calorie reduction diet forever. You need to increase, decrease, increase, decrease because your body has got to seek challenge and change. Otherwise, you get this slowing of the RMR, which actually blocks any further capacity exactly. to adapt. And that is absolutely fascinating. So despite the regains that a lot of them experienced, they still had an average weight loss of, what was it, Um, nearly 12% with more than half of them maintaining more than 10% weight loss, which by their findings was uh, similar to a lot of other weight loss interventions. So that rough, you know, reset point of around 10%. 
Yeah. So isn't that interesting? So we can lose a lot, but we can really only adapt roughly 10%. Interesting. Mm, so um, that was a really cool yeah. discussion because then they're saying, okay, so that's in six years and why does that occur? So there's a lot of, you know, conjecture as to, as to why that is, but they keep turning back to this concept of the RMR. They don't know if it lasts longer than six years um, from okay. substantial weight gain and yep. you have to consistently work hard to maintain that weight loss. And that's the, the long story short of it. Mm, yeah okay that's totally pessimistic um no no but it's not because it means that if we want to achieve weight gain uh substantial rapid weight gain may not be the best way to do it uh weight loss do you mean yeah sorry weight loss yeah. did i say weight gain yeah, yeah. <laughs> no one wants a lot of lot of substantial weight gain no weight loss is what i'm talking about um and so you know this concept of losing 40 kilos in a short period of win- window of time you know yeah. Yeah, or more in 30 weeks if we can gently adapt in small increments this concept of that 10 percent rule we're more likely to have an influence on that rmr that doesn't cause a rebound exactly and you know what the methods for which the biggest loser and those weight loss shows actually go about it is pretty horrific uh so you know it's it's an incredibly controlled environment the amount of exercise they're doing per day is completely unrealistic for anyone normal and they are really putting them into um essentially nutritional starvation as well, um, which is why I loved uh, Damien Christoph's show in New Zealand, um, or actually it's all over the world, but uh, the biggest, uh, no, sorry, Downsize Me, mm-hmm. because it was a much stronger focus on just those lovely timeless health principles and really excellent nutrition. And there was certainly a an exercise component to it as well um, with their trainer Leanne, but the the biggest idea was that it was all about you know the foods that you're putting in. Now we know that that's some of the story, but not all of it. So this is so here's my theory that goes a little bit more than what what we've already talked about. So what I observed in those women who were getting married and watching their body change, and it was essentially pretty similar to the. The way they wanted to look on their wedding day, the way they wanted to look and feel in their wedding dress was pretty close to what they got to in, you know, most of those circumstances. And it's, you know, very much a law of averages here from what I observed. Now, I'm wondering if this has so much more to do with the fact that for all of that time leading up to their wedding, these women's these women were hyper-vigilant and hyper-focused on this image that they had in their head of the way that they wanted to look on their wedding day, the way they wanted to feel as they're walking down the aisle, the way they wanted to look in their wedding photos and in their wedding dress. So they had this image in their mind of the way that they wanted to look and the way they wanted their body to be that they were fixating on thousands of times a day for possibly months on end. So I'm wondering if that visualization, and we know how powerful the mind is, if that visualization is what actually makes a shift rather than the stress leading up to the wedding. Mm, I think it's a massive part of it. And I think that it's also part of that feedback system that we have. When we're looking at our bodies in the mirror, when we're trying to lose weight, we tend to fixate on stuff that we don't like. Mm. So we tend to fixate on, you know, maybe the bumps that we have around our thighs or the fact that our butts are too big or, you know, whatever it might be. And then when we're away from the mirror and we're thinking about our body, we're constantly keeping that possibly negative image in mind all the time. So I'm wondering if that's part of that set point is just that we need to shift that image of our body. 
Does that make sense? And what I've actually made patients do before is uh, when they're really trying to make shifts and changes and when looking at themselves in the mirror is so stressful, I will literally get them to cover the mirrors for a period of time just because it induces such a stress response for them when they're trying so hard but then they can't stop fixating on the parts of their system that they don't like. Now, I know that there's a lot lot more psychology to it than that, but just as a little simple fix, just stop fixating on it. Simple fix, stop fixating. I love that. That, I mean, that's incredibly true. And if you want to achieve a lot of things in life, the concept of guilt or beating yourself up or making yourself bad in order to achieve something is less successful than if you have the gold, you know, dangling in front of you, which is an aspiration rather than a fear. Um, So when fear drives you, you tend to run from fear. So you'll do everything you can. But as soon as the driving force behind that fear, let's just say in this case, your wedding day occurs, you achieve it, you get there. um, You no longer have that driving motivation because it wasn't an aspiration. It was a fear that was driving that change. So it's, it's so true mind body connection is unbelievably powerful so let's just say that you know according to the studies this whole concept of metabolic set point is incredibly challenging to overcome or change because your body's going to constantly resist your efforts to to make change um in I guess increasing our concept of mindfulness, the capacity of the mind to overcome and change the body could be an interesting area to examine the concept that rather than this idea of losing weight because we're trying to lose weight, the mindset goals that are included in that weight loss potential can keep us on track long term so that this concept of rebound is not just a physiological uh, effort from your body because mind can change physiology. We know that to be true, and there's incredible works by, you know, the Deepak Chopras and Bruce Lipton's and um, Joe Dispenza. I mean, these guys are saying change your mind, change your life, change your body, change your health. It's incredible the stuff they're teaching. So um, I think this is, you know, this concept is just one piece of the puzzle. So I guess, you know, if this is a, a concern for you girls listening and you feel as though that, you know, you have tried everything and you keep trying and you're rebounding and, you know, you're cursing your body that it keeps going back to where it was, let's give some practical ideas tips or solutions that you could incorporate or do differently next time you take on this you know this goal um, in order to help gently reset this concept of metabolic set point um, to prevent your body from resisting your efforts i think that's really what it comes down to because there is we know a physiological resistance this is this concept of homeostasis don't rock the boat too much because i'm going to bring you back to where you need to be Um, even though your mind's you don't want to be there, but your body says, well, this is how I'm functioning right now. This is a survival state. And if we change that too much, I can't deal with all this this flux, this transition. So it then adapts and uh, in accordance resists. So yeah, awesome. let's think of um, some things we can do. Uh, there's, and for me, there's just a lot of different uh, angles to this. I personally love the psychology angle of it because I think if we look online and we look in the bookstores and we look <laughs> around, there are literally 10 of thousands of diets out there so food itself is not the only way to lose weight um it's obviously the massive component so you know food is your medicine true 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 um but hilariously i was smiling thinking people say which is the best diet and like the one you can sustain (laughs) yeah totally and you know the one that is just whole foods Mm, mm. yep the one that is yeah and you're absolutely right the one the one that is um you can sustain, but we also don't want them to be sustaining crappy diets. And they used to, they used to say that your diet or your food intake is eighty percent 
of your body composition and your exercise is 20%. Yes. Uh, however, I think that we need to shift those percentages because we know that your headspace and your mindset and your stress levels are a big part of that too. Oh, absolutely. Um, so the challenge I would love to give to anyone who is trying to maybe shift that body image is to maybe find a picture, an image of yourself where you really felt like you're in great shape. Um, and if you don't have that photograph, uh, if you haven't ever been in that position, then find one of someone that you want to look like and be realistic as well. And that is your visualization. That is your meditation. That is your mantra. That is, you know, what goes on your bathroom mirror that goes, you know, every time you think about your body, that's what you're visualizing and changing. And let's talk about realism too, because I think that, you know, one of the big challenges we have is that let's just say I'm a, I'm a five foot seven, 67 kilo woman. Um, and then I find this gorgeous photo of movie starlet who is, you know, five foot two, um, 40 something kilos frame. Yeah. And she looks incredible. She looks amazing on the red carpet. I'm like, oh my gosh, I would so love to look like her. Realistic or not? Oh, look, absolutely not realistic. And I think this is also why looking at anyone in, say, magazines and, you know, all the movie stars and the celebrities, they that's part of their job Mm. to look like that. So they have, you know, dietitians and chefs and trainers and that is their full-time job. And there is not enough money in the world that would make that want to be my full-time job. So I would rather a little bit of imperfection rather than having to fixate on that so strictly all day, every day. And you hear some of the horrendous things that celebrities do before they have to walk the red carpet um, and the amount of starvation and stress that they put on their systems to look a certain way. Um, So no thanks, that's not cool. But you're absolutely right. So someone who is maybe five foot two ash and is not doing the kind of physical activity that you're doing uh, would be completely unrealistic for you. So find something that is realistic and create a realistic plan because What we do know is that change can happen long-term and it's much more consistent and sustainable if you do have a long-term plan. And I know in this uh, day and age that we have of instant gratification, that's why the, you know, six kilos in six days kind of thing is so appealing to everybody, but it is completely unrealistic and unsustainable. So knowing that you're not going to have your perfect body in four weeks, but what can you achieve in six months? What can you realistically achieve in 12 months? And start to look more long-term. And even those timeframes are really not that long in the grand scheme of things. And just also understand that a bit of stagnation and plateauing is a very normal part of changing your physiology. So if you do plateau or you do become a bit stagnant, don't quit. That's not the time to give up. That's not the time to throw in the towel and go, well, whatever I'm doing is not working because it can be a really normal part of your physiology. Um, So stay the course. Beautiful. Uh, And let's have a look at some of the things. So, I mean, just your standard wholesome food, realistic eating programs are the way to go about this. You know, when we're talking about changing set points, we're talking about how the body needs to feel satiated. So you need those good quality fats, um, whole foods, fibrous foods. There's just so much of the basic nutritional advice we give on nearly every episode we record that is going to apply to this situation. Um, It's like that constant as well. Just stay away from junk food because junk food triggers you to eat more junk food. So if you're having challenges with this um, idea of metabolic set point and why your body will keep rebounding back, well, 
chemists know this stuff too. They are including crap in foods, you know, all the chemicals that create this mental psychological addiction to things that has got you caught on the rat wheel, which is, you know, don't buy donuts if you don't, if you don't want to uh, have to try and fight the mental battle against not eating that donut that you just bought. Um, stay away from stuff that's going to tempt you because that is half your battle right there. I always say to people that you don't have in your house what you know you shouldn't eat because you will eventually cave because of this concept of, you know, rebound and adaptation. And suddenly the brain will go, oh, hey, that donut sounds really good right now. <laughs> so just and don't don't have it. Don't have it there at all. About, yeah. We've talked about willpower before. And at any given time or any given day, you have about maybe 10 minutes of willpower. So yeah, don't, don't try and always rely on that. And don't beat yourself up for it as well. To have really good leptin sensitivity, you want to make sure that you're ditching the sugar or anything that's breaking down into sugar. So all your highly processed foods foods um, and making sure you're getting good quality sleep so important ditch the fad diets we know they don't work this includes all the shakes and all of that sort of crap Uh, i'm not going to name any names but you know what i'm talking about might also be worth just checking your hormones too Mm -hmm. so just making sure that there isn't an obvious uh, metabolic reason why you can't actually shift to that and they've also shown that one of the most consistent things for successful weight loss maintenance is high levels of physical activity. Yes. So, you know, that's, that sounds pretty, you know, normal, pretty realistic, pretty reasonable. Um, so high levels of physical activity. And I think that we all know that none of us are really moving our body enough, even if we do get to the gym every day for one hour. That's only one hour a day that we're actually moving our body. So, you know, don't overexercise, don't overdo it, particularly if you've got hormonal imbalances, but is there ways that you can start to increase your physical activity, even just incidental things? Yeah, so instead of sitting down listening to this podcast, you could be up walking about, to, you know, yeah. doing doing a walk down the coast, going in, you know, somewhere interesting to go for a new change of scenery. I think if we could increase, and I really love, this is one of the things when people are talking about changing metabolic rates and things like that. I'm like, well, let's just talk about some baseline minimums. Get one of those little pedometers, get a stepper, and start to make sure you're achieving 10,000 steps a day. Because fascinatingly, mm-hmm. so many women are... Uh, thinking they're doing around that and then they put one of those on they're like oh my gosh I'm only getting 4,000 and it's like even less than half of what they actually need to to maintain baselines so if you can uh, encourage yourself to do more by tracking that and we all sort of say what you track is what you can change um, that's really helpful because then you can actually look at the numbers yourself and be realistic about that and say am I achieving that am I not achieving that if I'm not what have I got to do to try and change that awesome all right so ladies we want to know if you have uh, I guess successfully changed your metabolic set point. If you feel like you have, we would love to hear from you and we'd love to hear what worked for you and has it been consistent and maintained over many, many years. So please uh, contact us at info at thewellnesswomen.com.au. We'd love to hear your stories. Make sure you communicate with us on Facebook. So facebook.com forward slash thewellnesswomen. We're on Instagram at thewellnesswomenofficial. Please remember you can consult with us as well if you feel like you need some extra help. So you can just uh, shoot us an email um, and one of our team will get back to you about that as to whether or not we think that we can help. We hope that you have loved this episode. And if you have, make sure that you give us a five-star rating because uh, we love that. It's really good for our ego. Um, <laughs> and I'm just kidding. Um, but your five-star ratings on iTunes really do make such a big difference and it also helps to spread that message. Uh, so ladies, until next week, be well. 
This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst the Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Wellness Couch podcasts.